there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Heads up, Ozzy is in the studio with me. Um, we are continuing with part two with our interview with Dave Butler, the author of the Jenny Wilson Eco Mystery Series. Now, we are going to continue on. We left off when we were talking about how a reader can connect with the characters in a novel. And we, I'm, we're, going to, we're just going to dive right on in and continue. So here we go. So, Dave, you wrote an article for Free Range Writers. And if anyone wants to read this article, um, their website is basically freerangewriters.com. And you cover some really good points in that article. Can you explain to our listeners what the three P's are? Well, thanks for referencing that. And, and just if you don't mind, the Free Range Writers is actually a really interesting collaboration between myself and two of my American friends and colleagues, Greg Ziegler and Pam Beeson. Um, and we try pretty much every week to write something of interest to writers or, or, or mystery readers. Um, and there's some great stuff on there. But this one in particular, I had some fun with because I've always kind of struggled a bit in answering the question about how I write and, and how I put my stories together. And I've kind of come around to talk about the three P's, as you said. So the, the three P's in my mind are people. That's the first one. And that's really the, the kind of the characters and their character arcs as they as they work through the story and as they're influenced by actions and, and um, geography. So I want to get those as strong as I possibly can, get them believable, get them plausible and go deep into the people. That's the first P. The second one is place. And this is what I really, uh, I think, I, I like to think I do well, but I certainly enjoy. And that is making sure that the where the story is located is really strong. So the, the, the scenes, the plots, or the places, I should say, where it actually occurs. And the first two novels in my uh, series were actually mostly in Canadian Rockies and in the Purcells and the uh, Rocky Mountain Trench. And I, that's a landscape I know really well. So I try to get that really, really uh, accurate. And in fact, I find that often I get the most mail if I have the wrong creek name or if I have a, you know, one street that doesn't cross another, I'll get more mail about that than I do about my story. So you have to get the story really good. And that's the place. And then the third P is the plot. That's the, really the narrative arc to the story how the actual you know, story moves along from one place to another. In the case of a mystery, obviously, your rising tension, you know, your denouement, and then the way that things all finish off at the end. Um, really, what I try to do with people, place, and plot is to try and make sure I've got them in as, as, as good a balance as I possibly can so that one doesn't overwhelm the other. Each of them is really strong, but but complements and balances out the other. So that's that's the way I describe the three Ps in terms of writing my stories. That's a, that's really good. I, I'm I'm writing notes down, and and you can't see me nodding my head, but I'm writing notes. Okay, so people, place, plot. All right, and that article can be found on the freerangewriters.com. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you. So, on to in Rhino we trust. Can you provide a brief summary of who Jenny Wilson is? What is her occupation, and what is this novel about? Well, thanks for the chance to do a shameless plug here. Uh, re really, the, the series, uh, you said, features Jenny Wilson. Now, she's a Canadian park warden, uh, originally based, based in Banff National Park. So that goes back to my my uh, early days in, in the park working as a warden as well. Now, in the first two books, she actually works largely in the Canadian mountain parks and, and, and just outside them, but does end up getting into the U.S., 
as part of our investigations, uh, Spokane and one and down into Idaho and the other. But I, I, uh, but I got to the end of the second book and I thought it's time to really challenge her. So I decided to take her to Namibia in the third book, which is, as you said, is called In Rhino We Trust. In, in that story, um, I put Jenny in the middle of a situation where she's helping to stop rhino poaching. Uh, but she really quickly realizes that it's much more complex than she originally imagined. And she actually ends up in the sights of an international poaching cartel but also realizes that the whole thing is as much about poverty as it is about greed. So, um, and you may ask about this, but I did actually go to Namibia once, which is where I got the idea for the story and then went back a second time to actually do the research for the story. But I just really wanted to throw her into a situation that was so, you know, essentially uncomfortable for her, uncomfortable, different people, different geography, different history, different culture, different landscapes, everything, and just see how she would react in, in a very, very different situation. Yeah, because I'm learning a lot. Um, and I like how I'll read about where she comes from in Canada. And then now we're in, Af- and we're in Africa. And it, it's the contrast. And I'm, I'm learning that there are good people who want to make change. And um, there's also the cruelty of individuals who are involved in making millions of dollars through poaching. And it's just, it's just despicable. So yeah, yeah, there is a lot. And, but you know, you have some really lines that just, they hit you. And the one, one of my favorite lines is lions are the top predator here and they're very efficient they own they take only what they need to survive then jenny says unlike humans bam (laughs) thank you (laughs) given what we've we're going through now okay (laughs) you know so as human beings we have lots of toys um and if we were if we are really really rich we have you know, we we invent and make toys because we want to be the first to travel to Mars. Why? I don't know, but fine. Um, and there are times when I think we have a lot to learn from animals, as, as bizarre as that may sound, okay? And, um, you know, I think we have to stop taking and, and start paying back. And from your experiences abroad, and given the different governments who are benefiting from poaching, because we learn about that, how do we we tackle this issue of stop taking and let's start paying back? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I could probably talk for a couple of hours on that, but I think that's longer than you want to go today. Um, I'm, I'm no expert on this, but I think if, you know, if I look at Namibia as an example, there are, there are really some interesting pieces to the solution that they are already figuring out. Um, for the people on the ground that are actually doing the poaching, and, I'm, and I met some of them that are former poachers, you know, you, I mean, the governments that are involved have, have had to develop alternatives for them that are, that are better than, than their, their current situation. So in that country, in Namibia, they actually are hiring former poachers as what they call rhino rangers. So they give them salaries, they give them uniforms, they give them prestige in their communities, and, and they actually are able to support their families much better, more sustainably than they would have by taking a, a rhino horn now and then. So these individuals see the rhinos alive as more valuable to them than they see them as dead. And in fact, when I was there, I had this re- heard this really interesting quote is that people in Namibia are now realizing that a dead rhino will feed a family for a week, but a live rhino will feed a family for a lifetime. 
And so if you think oh, about goodness. that, they flipped the whole thing on its side and now they're actually protecting the rhinos because they see the economic value for them. So it's a very harsh way of looking at animals, but it's actually working to protect them. But you also have to aggressively go after the buyers up the chain, as you said, the people that are making the big bucks. And that's where you know enforcement and fines and jail time come in. You have to make the costs of poaching greater than the benefits. And I think there's, you know, there's more and more international work being done to try and stop those chains of things like rhino horns and elephant tusks that are that are going into places like Asia. Uh, and so you're working on the local piece and then working on those other international pieces as well. And you have to kind of do them in concert or if you only do one, then then they won't work. But if you do both, they're having some real good success over there. That's awesome. That is awesome to hear. Good. And and I know we, we are discussing environmental issues, but I think that's the beauty of these types of novels because it's about changing the mindset. And, and Jenny is trying to do that. And as you mentioned, she's in a male-dominated system and um, the challenges she's facing in Namibia. Namibia? Nam- How do you pronounce that? Namibia. Namibia. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Or Canada. And um, I kind of, I, I have a new phrase. I kind of call this the Batman effect. Do you, you want to know why I call it this? Well, yes, please. <laughs> okay. It was about two weeks ago. I would, of course, it, like other people on a Friday night, um, clicked on Netflix and I was watching a, or this, my husband and I we were watching a documentary and just, and people, listeners, just stay with me here. And it was a documentary on the different Batman movie series. And they focused on the three with Christian Slater. And what the writers were saying is it's being able to talk about economy and politics and commerce and terrorism in a movie. And the writer said, if we were to produce a two-hour documentary about these topics, we would not get as much people tuning in if we integrated it into a story. And that's exactly what you're doing. So that's why I call it the Batman. <laughs> well, now I'm taking notes here. This is great. And I appreciate that because I think, as you said, it's, and you nailed it, is if you can, uh, and I don't do it purposely because I find, you know, the issues that we're talking about just make for great fodder for mysteries. But if you can get people to care about the characters, uh, as you said, with with um, with these kinds of stories, then you get them to think about the issues in perhaps a different way. And in in, in my world, I've always found there's no black and white on these things. So there's always these, you know, well, Joe can say fifty shades of gray, but that's a that's a whole different story. Um, but it it actually is, it actually helps people maybe to uh, to understand that these things are not as simple as they appear on the surface. And by throwing different characters in with different perspectives, you can actually uh, do that in a really interesting and, and hopefully compelling kind of way. Yes, and you, you so but you basically talk, touched upon um, my next question, and that is, and you had used this word cartel, and as I'm reading your book, I'm thinking this is like a drug cartel because you know Jenny, she is seeing that the corruption is thriving because there are people in the police force who get paid off, and it, it can go up to the magistrates, and that's why I was thinking, would you say poaching? is basically equivalent to a drug cartel. Yeah, I think there's some there's some interesting parallels for sure. I mean, if, I think that the, you know, in the case of of drug cartels, obviously the product moves down the system to the the end user 
and then the uh, the money goes the other direction largely. So the end user doesn't get the the money. Um, in the cases of the uh, the kinds of things we're talking about, the poaching, uh, the product moves up the food chain. That's the the rhino tusks, and each layer gets actually larger and larger profits in the layer below. So I think that's the the, the parallels for sure. Um, and it, it actually makes for a really interesting sort of comparison because it is very it's very organized, right? And that's the the frightening thing. It's not just a single person somewhere in the desert in Namibia deciding to take a rhino. It's because somebody's buying it, and then somebody's buying it from them, and somebody's buying it from them. So it is a it is a very much like organized crime in many, many ways. Wow. Okay. So moving on to a little bit, a little bit lighter topic here. So the last page of chapter three, you write about hearing the lions, the top predator, as they are about to embark on a night hunt. And uh, I, when I was reading that, I thought Dave's, Dave's experienced this. So for those of us who live amongst concrete um, hummingbirds and a, now, cause I'm in a small town, a basically it seems like a Sunday afternoon mow the lawn schedule. How did you feel when you heard your first night? <laughs> I just, I just shivered even now when you asked me that question again. Um, the first time I heard the roar of the lions as they, as they were out on a hunt, I was actually, it was one of my first nights over there, the very first trip. And I was actually lying in a canvas tent when I heard it. Now, now, despite uh -huh. the fact that we were in a fence compound, so they you know, weren't in any particular danger per se, it did instantly send a shiver up my spine. There's no doubt. And I still feel that even today uh, because of the sound, it, you know, in the darkness and you knew they were out there hunting. And it was, it was really at that moment that, you know, in a place like Africa, you realize that you are definitely not at the top of the food chain anymore. It was, <laughs> it was humbling. It was frightening. It was exciting. Um, and it's something that I, you know, hope as many people as possible get a chance to, uh, cause here, cause it is just, is it's wild. And, you know, and I kept help, I couldn't help but think that there I was inside a fence component, a tent and, you know, relatively safe. But if I was John yeah. Q zebra out there on the plane somewhere and heard that boy, I would be really, really nervous. So, you know, you think about how another animal perceives that knowing they could be the target of that hunt. It's a whole different ball game. Oh, <laughs> I'd be running for cover. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've you, you've seen a lot, and and um, I had the same reaction as Jenny when she finds a rhino that that ha that's been killed for its horns, and it's just you did it so well because I know I felt an instant rage. Were there scenes, even some that maybe didn't even make it into the manuscript, when you were writing this, that you felt an an anger resurface, and 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 just how how did you how do you deal with it, or how did you deal with it? Yeah, that that's a great question, and I guess it, it goes back to our discussion about Jenny. I mean, I I guess I really I, I used some of my reactions to things. You know, the first time I actually saw a wild rhino, and we were on foot and, and watching it through binoculars. You know, I tried to channel, you know, my anger that thinking about why, you know, someone would want to shoot that thing and really try to channel that anger that I felt into how Jenny reacted and how she felt. And then, you know, allowed that to flow into her, con her commitment really to making a difference uh, while she was there. Uh, and I did that with much of the book, really, you know, her feelings and emotions, particularly in, in, um, in Namibia, were often the same as mine. It was the new sights, the new sounds, the new smells, the new experiences. So I just tried to remember what I felt and then really just channel that into her. 
but you know it when i when when she saw that first pochrono and i thought about you know my situation back in banff i talked about earlier when i when we found that uh, a poached elk in in uh, in the national park um i i remember how angry i was how sad i was it was hard not to have a tear flow um, to find those antlers cut off yeah. with an axe. It was anger, it was rage, frustration, it was sadness. And I just tried to channel all of that into how Jenny felt when she first saw that first dead rhino with the horn missing. And hopefully it came across in the, in the, yeah. in the, the, the emotions that you felt as you read the, those passages. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Thank you. It did. Okay. I, I need to know, and I, I want to know, how did you come up with the title in Rhino We Trust? Yeah, it, it, it really is just a, it is a bit of a play on words. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to celebrate and, and recognize the work that an organization called Save the Rhino Trust Namibia does there. And, uh, and, and there's others like Tusk.org and others. They're the ones that are actually setting up the Rhino Ranger programs and putting, you know, uh, community conservation really into practice there. So I really wanted to kind of celebrate and recognize that work. And so I was kind of struggling around for a bit of a title. And then I, you know, I remembered that In God We Trust was the, official uh, motto of the United States. And there's there's some US links to, to the story, including the, the person that uh, Jenny goes over to Africa with, and it actually appears on their money. So I put those kind of two things together and it just popped into my head one day and said, this is kind of a fun one and kind of ran with it. And the publisher was supportive of it. And so that uh, that stuck and, and I'm, I'm really pleased with it even today. Perfect, perfect, that's good. So then, okay, let's take it for one more. Um, in the title, no place for wolverines. How did you come up with that? that? Yeah, well, and, and like you and I bet many writers, if they're listening, um, are often struggling with titles. And, you know, sometimes I think they're often chosen by the publishers after the writer uses a working title for a while. And um, this, in this case, I was actually working with a, a working title that I didn't really like as I was writing the book. But I, but I just, yeah. I, I knew it, I just used it because I knew it wouldn't last, but I just wanted to get it on the page and just, it was something I could call the book. Uh, but I was starting to get some pressure from my publisher um, to say, okay, we need to start to, you know, develop the promos for the next book. So we need to tell us what the title is. And they were actually recommending a few that, quite frankly, I really didn't like. In fact, I've forgotten most of them now because they were so horrendous. But I was really halfway through the book and getting kind of nervous that I still didn't have a title for it. And then Jenny was actually out in Yoho National Park doing some field work. And she was actually contemplating, a, you know, a particular development that it was going to be occurring there potentially. And she just said, well, if that happens, this will be no place for Wolverines. And I literally sat back in my chair and said, thank you very much, Jenny. You just gave me my title. I literally happened like that. She she said it. And I realized that she had just given me my title. That had never happened to me before. It was a pretty cool feeling. So I, even now, I still thank her for that one. Those are the best <laughs> moments. Aren't, aren't they ever? Oh, and, and you know it. And you just sit back and you go, that's yep. it. It was that, it was right? that quick. Yeah. It was that quick. So here we go. Um, my my this is my new and last my last new favorite question. Okay, if Jenny Wilson stepped off the pages of your novel because she wanted to have a few words with you, what would she say? <laughs> that is a great question. I love it. Um, I th I think uh, first I think there's no doubt that she'd probably give me hell for some of the challenges I threw at her. Yeah including these uh, yeah. goofy men that sure show up in her life and then disappeared. And, you know, quite frankly, she'd be right to do that. So we'd probably have an interesting conversation around that. Uh, but then I think she'd probably suggest that we go off for a kick-ass coffee. It was during the morning and have a conversation or it would be a drink later in the day. So I, I think that's how we, that would happen. She'd first give me hell for 
those challenges I threw at her. And then we'd probably sit down and either have a coffee or a drink and, and a good laugh about it all. And then she'd probably look at me and say, so Dave, what's next? <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause it's funny. Cause I was thinking about that too. And I thought, yeah, yeah. My, my, my heroine would not, would not be very happy with me. <laughs> either, right? But those are some of the best moments <laughs> of writing. Cause you throw those challenges at them and then see how they react. Yeah. So Dave, before we end, is there anything you would like to add? Oh, well, thanks. That's a, that's a nice question to, to wrap things up. And I guess I, I really wanted to say that I've really appreciated, um, you know, not only being on the podcast today, but beyond that, uh, the support and encouragement I've received from, from the readers of the series all the way along, and, and certainly from the many independent bookstores across BC and Canada that supported me, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, it's really humbling and inspiring to, to, you know, to, to, to meet people, to know that people seem to have enjoyed what I've, what I've created. And, and I'm sure, Jenny, you feel the same. It, it it's definitely motivates me to keep writing. Um, I'm super excited about the works I'm doing now on the, the first book in this next series. And I, I, quite frankly, I can't wait to share them with the world. So so stay, stay tuned. Well, I hope when it's ready, you come back and talk to us again. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so Dave, where can our listeners find you on the, this is my, I'm learning, I'm learning the new term on the socials. <laughs> like what is your Instagram? And well, yeah. thanks for that too. So my, my website is actually just DaveButlerWriting.com. So DaveButlerWriting.com. I'm also on Facebook at uh, Dave Butler writing. And I post there uh, quite often linking to some of my photographs, some of my work on free range writers. I'm on Instagram at just Dave Butler. And then I'm also on Twitter at uh, Dave Butler Dave. So that's all one word, Dave Butler Dave. So I'm on, on those, uh, any, anywhere on those and love to connect with people on any of the socials uh, or through uh, my website as well. Okay, perfect. So Dave, thank you for coming on my podcast. And I, I hope you come back with the next series. And um, thank you for writing novels that are educating and they're entertaining. And readers are learning about poaching that's happening. happening not just in Namibia, but in other countries, but also highlighting the, the incredible work that's, that's being done to, to counter the poaching. And uh, especially, I, I understand in Namibia, there's the Save the, Tr Save the Rhino Trust Organization. That's a, a website. Yeah, that's correct, correct, actually. They're the one that's doing a lot of the really good work in that country. Okay. Well, Dave, I'd say we it's a wrap. Then please stay healthy and thank you for sharing your Friday writing time with well, me. Well, thanks so much, Joanna. It's been a real pleasure being on the show today. And thanks so much for your interest and for the great conversation. You made it really easy for me. Thank you so much. Excellent. Okay. Well, bye-bye.